Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What is it? Monday afternoon? <clears throat> Monday afternoon. I'm battling. I get the friggin' pollen allergies going, so I'll be sniffling and coughing and sneezing. Throughout this podcast today, where I'm going to look at two stories, one in the Boston Globe and one in the Boston Herald. One serious, one serious in a different way. Raising some questions, but I'll be curious to hear your response. Um, So, uh, Sporty was in last week. A lot of response to that. Mixed. Um, I think some people were not happy with Sporty. Um, Some were confused. Uh, Mike Lombardi is going to join me, Kirk Minahan on a podcast later this week. Um, so I think we're going to talk about that in our shared history uh, and much more. Some other stuff going on this week as well. Um, I have, uh, we have, I actually want to get to a few more things today, but we have a limited studio time uh, till I was told that the Moroso, the producer, <clears throat> Mark Moroso, the right now producer, interim at least producer of the show, uh, texted me, how long ago? This morning, he got a call from somebody at Mix 104.1 said he needs a studio at 145 Sharp. So uh, I'll be out of here at 145 Sharp because the person at Mix needs this producer studio. There's two of them, by the way, here, but for some reason they need one. And I have absolutely no standing in this building at all. I come in here, I do it, and I leave. And does that piss me off? Yes. Does anybody care? No. Am I getting paid as much as I did before? Yes. Should I be bitching about it? Probably not. Does it still frustrate me? Yes, uh, it does. Does it frustrate me when uh, people who say they're going to call me on uh, Friday and forget to call me who uh, are upper management and then say we'll call Monday and it's already 1 o'clock Monday, they haven't called about other potential stuff? Yes. That shit drives me fucking absolutely mental, but, you know, nobody cares. Let's be honest, it's a pretty fairly documented history of the people here not caring that much about mental health, so... Um, uh, yeah, so that pisses me off. So let's hustle because I'm sure the guy at Mix has to, you know, make sure that, you know, they get their fucking some contest or some fucking commercial, you know, or whatever booked for tomorrow. So whatever. They're all nice people trying to do their jobs. It's not even really their fault. It's more my frustration. Um, I guess. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I know the guys on my old the the guys who uh or the place I used to work at the show I used to be on I had this guy on today I listened to it uh coming in here on uh, uh on demand which is frustrating I hate to give them a one click I hate to give Rob Bradford a click honestly I really do uh but I did Patrick Moynihan this is from a Globe story <clears throat> on May fourth uh it came out it's weird so the the story got posted. May 4th, Saturday at 4.45 p.m., I think. First of all, that's I know it's online, but it's still strange. Just as a story anyway. Um, by the way, my phone's buzzing because the guys who were working with me on the Marty Walsh Project have uncovered something. 
And I know people want to, you know, I get tweets about that. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, you know, Woodward and Bernstein didn't have social media at the time. Uh, you know, so, you know, they got to hide and sort of do their shit. And then, boom, one day it kind of popped up in everybody's uh, driveway in America. And then they unfolded and read it, or in Washington anyway. Another thing that's weird about all the presidents men the movie, I was thinking about this. The, 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 the married couple, Hugh Sloan and his wife at the end of the movie, are played by Stephen Collins and Meredith Baxter Bernie. There's like this sort of like uh, everyone, like you know, uh, like like Norman Rockwell, middle America, married, cute married couple. She's, you know, came out as a lesbian, Elise Keaton, Meredith Baxter Bernie. You know, no big deal. Uh, Stephen Collins was like this insane rapist. Google him. Like, and he's kind of sort of gone over, just been, never went to prison, but like wiped out. I don't know. Anyway, All the President's Men's a great movie. You know what? That's the Kirk Minahan movie recommendation of the week for you kids out there if you've never seen it. Maybe I'll start doing that. Uh, you have to watch uh, uh, all the. If you haven't seen all the presidents, men, you know one of the greatest movies of all time. Probably one of my five favorite movies. If you haven't seen that movie, you're you're a fucking idiot anyway. But just in case, um, <clears throat> I'll go a little more a little more arcane there in the future. I got a song for you today too. Song of the day by Kirk for Kirk Minahan. Two the new Springsteen song, Hello Sunshine, which is great. And secondly, I heard this on uh, Sirius, maybe Deep Tracks yesterday driving around. Human Wheels by John Mellencamp, which is like a forgotten little, like, Mellencamp, like, mediocre, not mediocre, it's a good album, but sort of a, like an early 90s, like 92, 93, I'm going to say 93, I think I was a senior high school. I like that song, Human Wheels, good song, let's look that one up. Um, I had something else I wanted Moroso to look up to, I'm forgetting. Anyway, <clears throat> I'll remember at some point. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the headline is, Brian uh, McCrory wrote it. Um, that's not Brian Marquardt. Brian Marquardt is the Globe obituary writer who uh, was arrested for masturbating in front of uh, high school or or not uh, or uh, college age girls, I believe. He still writes for them, by the way. Uh, he's their obituary writer. The Globe, who you know, takes some moral high ground on everybody. That's Brian Marquardt. That's that's fact. I mean, you can Google that, look it up. That wasn't him. This is Brian McCrory who wrote the story, who I don't believe has ever masturbated uh, in front of uh, other people without their consent. To my knowledge, I have no idea. Uh, and he writes a story about nonprofit that runs schools in Haiti rejects craft donations. So I see the headline Saturday and think, oh, that's interesting. Let's take a look at that. Uh, the president of a Rhode Island based organization that provides free schooling for hundreds of uh, impoverished children in Haiti has rejected a hundred thousand dollar donation from Robert Kraft, the New Patriots owner who is facing prostitution charges in Florida. So right away, I will admit I have two questions is is after I read that first paragraph. Uh, really one, I guess. Um, and that is, you know, why would, why, A, why, no, I'm not sure, two questions. Why would he reject it, and how did this guy figure that out, this McCrory guy? Well, what we learn uh, as we go on here. Patrick Moynihan, who has led the Roman Catholic boarding school since 1996, turned down the charitable donation on April 10, only after hours have been offered. Only after, out. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Only hours after. After hours sounds so, it's, it's a movie I know, it sounds so much better than hours after. After hours. It doesn't make any sense if you read the sentence, but I like after hours better than hours after. Patrick Moynihan turned down the charitable donation on April 10th, only hours after it had been offered, while Kraft and his lawyers fought allegations that he had paid for sex acts in January at a strip mall spa. The last thing I wanted was a donation from Robert Kraft, Moynihan said last week. I could not be silent. I had to stand up. So this guy, this guy, uh, 
you know, the story gets into it, and we can read them sort of um, verbatim. But I'll give you the the, the blow by blow, um, and then we'll get to, to it. Kraft offers them a hundred grand. This guy chased Kraft for a couple of years, wanted Kraft to donate money. Kraft is whatever you think of him, uh, an extremely charitable guy. I think he, I saw somebody tweet out. I one of the parody my guy not my parody accounts, but one of those parody accounts tweeted out that I think he donated twelve million bucks in two thousand sixteen. Um, look, I know he's got seven billion dollars, but I don't care. That's an unbelievable amount of charity. Um. My guess is by far, well, I don't know that, but I would say a lot more than other owners in the city have donated to charity. Uh, I've been parts of uh, fundraisers where they haven't done anything. I can tell you that, and it involves them, to my knowledge. So anyway, um, <clears throat> he chases Kraft for years. Kraft finally says, sure, no problem. Uh, six months passed without a reply, I should say. Moynihan sent, a, sent a, something in, in the fall of 2017, so it's been about a year and a half. Um, Kraft is friends at Moynihan's brother, who is the uh, Bank of America chairman, Brian Moynihan. Uh, three weeks ago, Moynihan receives an email from uh, uh, Dan Solera, consultant who advises Kraft on philanthropy. Um, he's honored to support your leadership and work of the Haitian Project at this pivotal moment for the organization, the people you serve. Um, would you like to pay me in one lump sum or spread out over two years? Congratulations. By that time, Moynihan said, so he's offering $100,000 to the school in Haiti, which... Um, is hugely significant, as Moynihan says. It would cover a year's expenses, education, lodging, and meals for an entire class of 50 students at the school in Haiti, uh, impoverished student, children in Haiti. They, the school does not uh, charge tuition and relies solely on donations to operate, so Moynihan says. Hugely significant to us. Uh, he says, I represent the needs of people who have a singularly uh, terrible situation, lack of assets, but we cannot do good by doing bad. The ends cannot justify the means, which means Moynihan said, nope. I'm not taking your hundred grand. Uh, an institution working diligently to empower women and provide them with the opportunity for strong, healthy economic futures. We must be clear and resolute in communicating the message that prostitution is always wrong. So, so that's a hundred thousand dollars that will feed, clothe, lodge, help educate, educate these girls. And this guy Moynihan, on his own, as I, as he said today in this interview. Uh, didn't concede, the, the Globe story says he consulted with senior people. This guy says he did on his own in the interview. So I, the one this morning with the the guys at this place I used to work at, you know. So they 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 this guy says nope, it's my call. I am going to basically tell take money away from these kids because Bob Kraft got a hand job blow job, I guess, and maybe they play with his friggin' ass from what I understand. I haven't seen any of this stuff, but I'm reading it. So, because that happened somewhere in Florida, uh, you know, which, by the way, was not sex trafficking, as we've learned. Uh, prostitution, yes. Do I think the woman was thrilled to, to have her mouth on Bob Kraft's, Bob Kraft's genitals? Probably not. Um, because that happened in Florida in January, you know, four months from now, some girl's not going to have a book or food or clothes, potentially, at her school. Is so fucking stupid. It is unbelievable. And this guy, Moynihan is, first of all, comes across like a total asshole, total douchebag, and I'm not surprised at all when I learned. I mean, you know, you didn't know that's a question. He went to the Globe. The Globe didn't go to him. He went to the Globe and told them. And the Globe, which is what they do, because, as I said before, they have this odd fixation with this story. They're in love with Kraft's, you know, junk and reporting about it, uh, ran with the story. 
Uh, didn't ask any questions. McCrory never raised any, you know, issues, any, you know, any, <laughs> any idea of like, why, why would you turn this down? You know, why, what about, you know, <laughs> what about the, the moral, you know, there's three million questions, you know, why, <clears throat> oh, Christ, I gotta take a drink. McCory, of course, never mentions that they go that, that he went to him. So essentially, the Globe is being used by this guy Moynihan to look in his mind like some you know righteous hero, where instead he just looks to me like a total asshole. I mean, I don't know. I don't. You, know, you guys know me. I know nothing about religion. Not even I know nothing about religion, but I don't believe in it at all. I would think that forgiveness is part of it, and if Kraft is going to donate a hundred thousand dollars. You know, you should say, okay, well, thank you very much. I hope you figure your situation out. Uh, I forgive you, whatever the hell they do. But Moynihan, who, again, is part of, is a Roman Catholic deacon, I think. I don't think anybody in the Roman Catholic Church, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, the greatest, most prolific crime syndicate in the history of civilization is the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, we are talking about, conservatively, I'm being conservative here, hundreds of thousands of rapes probably millions of rapes of young children. This guy Moynihan, did he turn his back on the Catholic Church? Did he say, you know, I can't I can't in, in good conscience work here anymore? Every day you read something new. Not every day. Every week you see something new about some church somewhere that continues to cover shit up. This guy Moynihan say, you know what? I can't do it anymore. Sorry, I can't work. I can't be part of this. I got to go find another religion. I got to do something else. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, I saw Turtle Boy right. You know, his brother got bailed out by, you know, financially a couple of times. Took government money. Took our money, you know, while Bank of America uh, shit the bed. You have a problem with that? I'm sure he's taking money from this guy hand over fist. And let me ask you this about the Boston Globe. So, you know, Alan Dershowitz, who I've had on here and maintains his innocence, has been accused several times and will not, by the way, will not, uh, keep saying he will show proof, but will not, when asked, will not provide it. Uh, that he's innocent on this, these charges. If um, somebody went to the Globe, pitched the Globe, and said, hey, uh, Alan Dershowitz offered me $25,000 for a charity, and I turned it down because of these rape allegations against Virginia Roberts and this, oh, one other thing, association with Epstein, which I'll get to in a second, uh, because it ties into this as well, association with Epstein. You think the Globe would run that story? Not a fucking chance in hell. No chance at all. This goes down to a couple of things for me. Number one, this guy is just trying to, you know, this is this is his victory lap. This is his way to look great, is to make Bob Kraft look bad. And the Globe is, by the way, only too happy to be a co-conspirator in this entire thing. It's this weird, sordid idea that they're going to take Kraft down, which I, I don't, I swear to God, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. I do, I guess I do understand it. I think it comes from the top. I think there's some jealousy that no matter what, um, you know, Kraft will always be more popular. John Henry and the Red Sox can win 20 championships, and people just aren't, they just don't like him, and they don't like Linda Pizzuti. They don't like them. I don't like them either, but I have real reasons. They don't like them at all, and I don't think they ever will. They just come across as unlikable, snobby, entitled people who have no touch with reality. None. Whereas Kraft, whether you like him or don't like him or think he's whatever, you the prostitute, whatever, comes across like a likable, flawed, regular guy who happens to be a billionaire because there's some truth in it. I mean, I know it's part of his biography, but he's from here, you know, went to the games, the whole thing, you know, uh, the whole thing with Goodell, the whole thing with, the, with uh, <clears throat> you know, all that shit, Deflategate, all that, the whole thing. Uh, people have been through a lot with Kraft, his wife, the whole thing. 
Um, and I think that, that I I think pure theory that drives the people who own the globe bonkers. And by doing this, of course, that makes people actually like craft more and like them less. They'll never figure it out. You know, uh, things that were done to other people uh, in this city, uh, prominent media members who were si- attempted to be silenced by them, makes people like them less, like their ownership less. Um, and, and you know, and now this bizarre a blind liberal agenda and this thing to, to, to bring craft down. I mean, one of the reasons uh, Moynihan said that he didn't want to uh, work with Kraft is that Kraft had a lawyer <clears throat> that uh, uh, worked Jeffrey Epstein. Of course, McCrory doesn't mention at all in his story, in the Globe story at all, that the Globe has a contributor, an op-ed writer, who probably has an op-ed in there today for all I know, who is a lawyer for Epstein. Like, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is incredible. Um, Moynihan said his decision was influenced by what he considers Kraft's disregard uh, for the corrosive eff- effects of prostitution, also by Kraft's move to hire an attorney represented Epstein. A billionaire was indicted on allegations that he abused underage girls. So, again, you know, <laughs> the Globe just writes this stuff, and they have somebody who, you know, defends Epstein blindly. And, by the way, whatever you think, and, and, and I give Dershowitz credit, he came on here and fought... <clears throat> This guy was over Epstein's house getting a massage. And, you know, it's just, they're so, they, they live in such a bubble um, that, you know, my issue is almost like Moynihan is just, a, like, I just think he's a loon. Again, I heard him this, uh, driving in here. He just sounds like a lunatic. Like, he's one of these guys who's not connected to reality. He's one of these guys where religion has cracked him. He's just not, you know, like real honest religious people who are good, you know. Uh, no problem. But these people who use religion, honestly, I would find it offensive if I were a member of the Catholic Church, who uses religion as sort of this, like, I'm going to be a better person than you. Uh, Alfred, you know, I'm going to look down on you. I have Jesus on my side. Drives me nuts. <clears throat> and I think it's so, you know, I don't know who is part of this, if there's actually a board for this school. I would get this fucking guy out so fast and bring in somebody else. You know, again, you know, do you want to take $100,000 from R. Kelly? Probably not. You know, you want to take $100,000 from Harvey Weinstein? Probably not. Do you want to take $100,000 from somebody who, yes, uh, went to a prostitute, and that's it, got a misdemeanor, I believe, um, charged with a misdemeanor? I think that's probably okay. And if I were these guys, man, I would make sure every dollar I ever got was clean because, and I'm sure it's not, uh, because if you're going to start doing this shit, if you're going to start playing this game, then forget it. But to me, the, the stories are two. Number one, he's, you know, this guy's just a jerk. Moynihan. Uh, we asked him to come on. He didn't want to come on with me, believe me. He went to a safer landing spot, which is fine. Um, and um, number two, the Globe. The Globe just sort of blindly gets in bed with this guy, lets him lay out his story, doesn't raise any questions, doesn't ask, have any objections. I'm sure McCrory sat there, you know, took it all down and fucking printed it. No problem. And went right through the editorial process. No problem. A chance to smear craft, let's do it. Make them look bad, let's do it. Now, of course, by doing that, they they don't understand because they again bubble. They make craft look better. I don't know anybody, honestly, anybody who has any issue, any real people who have any issues at all with craft anymore. None, none. Now, at first, the sex trafficking and it was weird, and you know, for me, once I learned that there was no sex trafficking involved. Then to me it's 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 consensual, and if it's consensual, I have no. I think prostitution should be legal anyway. So what am I going to get? What fuck am I going to get worked up about? Some older guy wanted to get his friggin' rocks off. Okay, 
Great. He paid somebody who was there in her, in her own, under her own free will to do it. Great. Uh, you know, knock yourselves out. And don't do it in front of me. You know, you do it and then you get out of there and you go. You know, for him, that's what he likes to do, I guess. Okay. You know, should I then say, well, this 12-year-old girl in Haiti who needs some help, uh, who needs this, 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 and this, we're going to pre- potentially prevent you from, instead of having this, 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 and this, we're going to let you have this and this. We're going to keep a couple things away. Well, why? Well, because a guy walked into a place, lied down, took his pants off, a body part uh, uh, because of the blood flow rose, and then a woman used her hand and touched it till something came out. So, you know what? You can't really have that anymore. Sorry. you can't. You, no books for you. No books for you because a guy ejaculated in Florida fucking eight months ago. I mean, this is so fucking stupid. These fucking religious people, the uh, hardcore religious people who think they're better than, drive me absolutely fucking ape shit. So there you go. That's that's it with that. And you know the panders of the world, the Patrick Moynihan's, the Ed Markey's, these fucking assholes who sit there and when a guy's down, and that's really another part of it too. A guy's at his lowest, and they put his foot in his throat. Fuck him. If I was Kraft, I, I I mean he's a better guy than I am. I guess I would go so scorched earth, but maybe he's waiting. I don't know. So that part I thought was uh was pretty pretty interesting. Number two, this is a little more. This is, let me take a pause here for a second. Oh, I had something. <clears throat> Jeez, these guys are buzzing away on my phone, by the way, on this story here. Um, oh, that's what it was. Two things. Uh, I'm going to give you a little, little with my book, with my, I'll give you a story recommendation, too, which I tweeted out. Kevin O'Connor wrote this for the, Kevin writes for The Athletic, right? Am I right? Let me look this up because I retweeted it. I think he does. He wrote a story over the weekend. Uh, let me see. On the road to Basra stood young Lieutenant Jimmy Bly. He detailed the clothes of the soldiers who died. Let me see here. The Oklahoma sky. This is a prayer for the souls of the departed. Lift me broken hearted. This is a pr- Oh, we write to the ringer. I'm sorry. What did I say? The athletic writes for Simmons. Um, <clears throat> he wrote, on May 3rd, he posted. I actually didn't see it till, I don't think till May, f- no, it's not later that night, May 3rd. Um, I don't know Kevin at all. I know he's been, he used to call in to radio, st- I don't know if he still calls stations or whatever, and does some basketball stuff. He's a basketball writer, and I guess a really good one. Um, <clears throat> so he wrote, his dad was recently di- diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, our family's heartbroken. He's a good man. He's a good father. He's my best friend. Uh, and he wrote about the, the story about his love of basketball and a lesson he taught that's helping us make the most of today. Um, and I read the story, and it was really, really good. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, uh, go look it up. I tweeted out. Um, I tweeted out. That was the day before my dad's May 3rd. My dad died the next day two years ago, uh, May 4th, 2017. <clears throat> and what's funny is obviously I mock sports a lot. And the actual games themselves are f- fine, you know, I don't like previewing and reviewing and, you know, this and pretending to be, the pretending to be upset about sports stuff is like what drives me really crazy. The, the over, you know, the, the, the game's on that's close. Fantastic. I, you know, I, I, I believe me, believe me, I, I get that. Um, but, you know, my dad and I, and I talked about this a few podcasts ago, you know, we're never quite there. You know, we always had issues. But the thing that bonded us the most by, and this is what Kevin's story, and this is the part of really good writing, is it hit home for me was the thing that we could always, we were always good about were the Celtics in the 80s. We 
we I was Larry Bird Celtics. He was my hero. Um, you know, my room was filled with Larry Bird posters. I mean, filled with them. Uh, I had Bird shirts I wear every day to school. You know, I tried to play like I'm. I'd, I'd do the thing with my sneakers when, when I walked out in the court. You dive for loose balls. You take shots with your left hand. You try. You know, you try and be. If I could grow on a shitty mustache, I would have. Uh, I was obsessed with them. And my dad loved the Celtics too. Growing up, his favorite player was was Bill Russell. He loved Havlicek too. I thought of him. Obviously, I always think of him. But I thought of him when Havlicek passed. He really liked Havlicek. Um, <clears throat> we had we had uh, half season tickets to the Celtics at the Garden in the eighties. Um, section 114, row J, seats seven and eight, and it was un, it was sort of there was a there was a little row even above us. It was funny back then. I still think about this to see the score to see the score of the game. Then you have to kind of duck your head under to the left. I think I've told the story before and see the home score, and then duck under and look the other way because the home the road score is blocked to see the road score and the time left in the game. The old garden had the clock sort of at both ends of the floor, you know, way back, and then they had the big thing up above. Um, but anyway, that's what bonded us was no matter what, we could always talk about the Celtics. Always. We could sit down and watch the Celtics game, even when we, you know, had our, our toughest moments. We could sit there and watch the Celtics for two hours, and or we could, you know, we, we could talk about them a long car ride where it was uncomfortable. It was always something to talk about. Uh, and Kevin wrote beautifully, you know, he was really close to his, is really close to his dad, and his dad is really suffering. And I saw Marcus Smart did, a, you know, tweet out the story, first of all, and then uh, sort of took care, brought the dad to the game the other day and took care of them, which was really pretty pretty cool to read. I got to say, I got to give him credit for that. So that that was one thing about the Celtics in the 80s. The other one is, for me, um, one of the big voices of my youth was Andy Jick, who did the play-by-play for, uh, not the play-by-play, but the PA for the Celtics at the Garden. And that was a big, you know, part of the whole presentation, you know. One guard is from Pepperdine, the six foot four, number three, Dennis Johnson. The other guard is from Brigham Young University, six foot six, number 44, Danny, you know, the whole thing. Time out, Celtics, though, you know. Uh, and um, I got to know him very, very little bit. Uh, uh, John Meter Perel was a mutual friend of ours, uh, the great John Meter Perel. Uh, He'd grab. I'd go. To, he'd get me tickets to the BC game every year. The last couple of years, I'd bring Kate or Harry, whoever. And I ran to Andy Jick twice. He did, wound up doing the PA there after he did the the uh, the Celtics PA. And you know, he said he listened to the show and he liked that. And I told him how much I I liked him growing up. And we had a little. You know, we would tweet each other, direct message each other on Twitter every three six months. He reached out to me um, when my parents passed. He reached out to me when I had my issues. I reached out to him a couple of times. Anyway, I've been, I I can't pretend that I knew him very well at all, but he seemed like a terrific guy, a super nice guy, and I was crushed, really sad on Saturday night, which again was the anniversary of my dad's death, to uh to see on Twitter that that he had passed. I was so that really surprisingly, hit, you know, things weird things hit you. I felt so bad. He seemed like such a nice guy. Uh, you know, Meter loved him, said he was one of Meter's best friends. Meter would always say what a great great guy he was. I ran into Meter a few weeks ago here. Uh, I was walking out. He was coming in to, to do something. Or no, we were both walking out together, and uh, and I was going to do something else. And he said, "I'm going to Panera to get lunch with Andy Jick." And I thought I said to him, "I was like, oh, I should come along with that." He's like, "Well, yeah, if you want, yeah, sure." And I thought I could, I had to go do something else. Maybe I think I had to pick Harry up or something, so I couldn't do it. Uh, which I was actually one of the few times I actually wanted to go have lunch with somebody because I really liked him. So that that bummed me out. He seemed like a super nice guy. Died in his sleep pretty young. I think he was 65 or 66. So I was terribly, uh, terribly sorry to see that. Uh, what a nice guy from every, every account. Um, 
and what you know, one of these guys who you know, when you hear that, I would hear that voice at BC games. Not immediately be back. I could smell the Boston Garden. You know, you could with the greatest building of all time. Not, not, nothing will ever replicate that place, and he was a big part of it. Sort of a, in a way like a, a supporting actor in, in a big movie, my youth, the '80s Celtics. Anyway, so uh, I want to have a little bit of. <laughs> so obviously, Kevin Cullen was a target, and we beat up on him. Um, a couple, and he deserved it a year ago. Uh, let me see this. That's it. Huh, okay. I thought it was more than that. Okay. So Ray Flynn writes, uh, the old mayor of Boston, and a, and a former basketball player and a really good one, writes a column for the Boston Herald. And I want to say, first of all, before I read this column, uh, I actually like a lot of what the Herald's doing. Casey Sherman, who I may get on later this week, let's let's reach out to him, maybe, Moroso, for 10, 15 minutes on the stuff he's doing on the Boston Phoenix and Dan Kennedy, because I always like when people take down, you know, assholes, and Dan Kennedy is an asshole. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, um, you know, the, the opinion stuff in the Herald's actually been pretty good lately. Uh, I know, I think Ray Flynn still writes for the Herald. And as I said in an interview a few weeks ago, one of the producers brought this story to my attention, and Carlson Moses did an interview with me. And it's a short column. I, I thought it was longer than this. Okay, so so this is from 2017, and again, like I just I'm just gonna read you the first couple of paragraphs, and then we'll ask some questions. And I just want to know if you believe if this happened or not. Uh, this is from February of 2017. I want to say this is Ray Flynn, Raymond L. Flynn, the former mayor of Boston, and by the way, U.S. Amb- ambassador to the Vatican as well, uh, helping those friggin', you know. Just, I, I loathe the people in the Vatican. Oh, these priests, these, you know, these people who knew things for years and years and years. And they're going to bring somebody in after Francis dies. And he's going to be another old guy who's been connected for 50 years to this bullshit. And it'll all happen again. Um, they've earned no benefit of the doubt. Anyway, February 2017. A little snow can help us become better citizens and maybe even better basketball players, Flynn writes. Riding the bus with my wife, uh, Kathy, during yesterday's snowstorm, I struck up a conversation with a young college student on the bus at Broadway Station, asking him what he thought about all the news uh, about Elizabeth Warren and President Trump, a controversy others on the bus were discussing. Pause. 2017. Now, I'm not doubting whether Mayor Flynn and, and his wife, Kathy, were on the bus. And I will admit, I'm not somebody who goes on the bus a lot these days. Um, I do, however, take trains fairly frequently. Uh, I don't jump in front of them. I take them fairly frequently. No human beings anymore are even uh, like talking to other people on these things. Everybody has uh, buds in their ears. They're listening to music, podcasts, radio, whatever. You know, uh, 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 they're on their phone, YouTube, whatever. You know, no one, no one is talking to anybody. And for sure, I, I don't think there was a. This, this big conversation going on uh, of Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump among, like, a, a community on the bus, like, all of a sudden started talking, like it was speed, and they all became friends. Um, so this is a young college student in 2017. So let's place the age of the student at, 
let's say, we'll say 20, just for argument's sake, okay? So that'd be born in 97, so which is what, 10 years after Flynn got out of office? It was almost as if he, the college student, didn't hear my, Flynn's question. Instead, he said, these are quotes now, Mayor, you were known for driving around the city in snowplows. I'll stop right there. I was younger and living in 10 miles away from Boston, obviously had all the news and newspapers. Uh, he may have been known for that. I'm 43. I'm 20-whatever years older than this this, this uh, supposed college student. I didn't remember that. It may be true. I don't remember that. The drivers and people loved it. But I heard something about you and snowstorms that I wanted to ask. So, again, we'll pause and I'll, I'll, I will opine for a moment. Um, so this college kid who happens to get on the bus that Ray Flynn also happens to be on after a snowstorm just coincidentally is a guy who's been itching, a 20-year-old kid who's been itching to ask Ray Flynn about snowstorms for years. What are the odds? He gets on the bus after a snowstorm, and who's there? The man who's wanted to ask questions about snowstorms for years, Ray Flynn. I mean, what a coincidence, right? As a kid, you were always shoveling neighbor's sidewalks, especially the elderly. How this college kid would know that, I don't know. But a story I heard was when you were playing college basketball in Philadelphia. You left your hotel at 6 a.m. to walk down to the Philadelphia Arena to help the custodian shovel the snow for a big holiday tournament doubleheader. Again, I'll stop. Where did you hear this story from? I've never heard this story. This kid, this college kid, heard this story? He knew what time he left. Uh, and he knew it was a doubleheader. Um... <laughs> Okay. Quote again. We're still quoting this kid. The custodians would then let you inside the arena to practice shooting basketballs until the fans arrived hours later. That afternoon, you broke the arena's college scoring record, which had been held by NBA legend Oscar Robertson from the University of Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) So... So, so, so this so this kid, this college kid, went to practice shooting basketballs, which is a phrase I hear all the time, um, and then said to Ray Flynn, he told him that he broke the arena's college scoring record. I will ask, let's bring in any any kid, anybody, me, a huge basketball fan growing up, ask me any arena's scoring record. I wouldn't have a fucking clue. I would guess LSU's is probably Maravich, wherever it is. Probably not there anymore. That arena. Uh, you know, Durant maybe it is one year in Texas. I I have no fucking idea. Um, but he said to Ray Flynn, as a quote, Oscar Robertson, NBA legend Oscar Robertson from the University of Cincinnati. So the kid also knew who broke the record, had to let Ray Flynn know that he's an NBA legend, and he went to the University of Cincinnati. <laughs> I mean, does, does any reasonable person think this conversation ever happened? And then he asks him, Weren't you tired from shoveling snow and shooting basketballs since 6 in the morning, he said. So, you know, this is clearly made. Ray Flynn wants to let everybody know, like, what a great guy he was and how heroic and that he was a good basketball player, too. Instead of just saying, telling the story himself, my guess is, my guess is he was someone, you know, sort of wanted to seem modest. So instead he placed this kid in there, this fictitious, in my opinion, kid, to come in here and ask these questions. When you're doing something you believe in, you never get tired, I replied. Every time it snows, I remember that. You remember what? 
this conversation you had with this miracle kid who came in who was wanted to ask you about arena scoring records and snowstorms and, and plows and Oscar Robertson and arenas. <sighs> so, you know, again, my issue with that is, so I don't believe that story. I'm, I'll just be honest. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe Ray Flynn will call me and we'll have it out and that college kid will show up and, and tell me the same story. And if that happens, I apologize. It's strange reality, though, I would say. My issue is with Flynn, of course, but as it was with Cullen and so many of these other ones, and I am working on another project, um, I kind of want to do like a 10-episode season on different fabulists over the years. The Cullens, the Jason Blairs, the Stephen Glasses, um, the Janet Cooks. But more interesting, I think, are the ones like the little newspapers who got away with it for years, or foreign ones who got away with just making shit up. Um, I think it'd be an interesting podcast, and I think I, I, I'm going to try and, and do that as well. You know, I have 40 other things that I'm starting to do that I'm not doing, so we'll see how that goes. But what's interesting to me is Flynn wrote this, right? And, you know, on it's, it's actually harmless, really. Like, Collins is dangerous because it, because he, it, and also, I think, evil because he, you know, uses, like, marathon bombing victims as, like, toys. Like, it's just, it's just so, such poor taste. And it's like, suggest somebody who's really got mental issues, in my opinion. Flynn's is almost like innocent and kind of sweet. And like, you almost feel bad for him in a weird way. I don't know why. Maybe because he's an old guy and he seems like a decent guy. I don't know. But it's like such a red flag. I, I would love to know the process from when Flynn types that to when it gets to the newspaper. Who is in between that? What editor read that and didn't have any questions at all? Just said, okay, yeah, we'll run with that. That seems like that makes a lot of sense. Who is that person? That's what's interesting to me. Because, you know, whatever, like it's, you know, and I haven't really, I haven't done a deep dive into Flynn like I've done into Cullen because I think Cullen's a, a real reporter. Um, obviously, I mean, I think we know the difference between Kevin Cullen saying that a fireman, uh, you know, was trying to scrub blood out of his fingernails the day after the marathon, was crying when it didn't happen, or, you know, Jane Richard, you know, crawling, uh, trying to find Jane Richard's leg when that didn't happen either. Versus Ray Flynn telling a little story about some guy in the bus and, and, and shoveling snow. I mean, at its core, it's sort of the same, but it's also, you know, way different situation. But I just, I, I would love to know who said, you know what, that, yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. Good. You know, it's pretty, I, I almost wonder if they didn't even look at it. If it's such, if, if Flynn writes such drivel, I don't even know if it's all like this. Well, they just say, yeah, we'll just run it, whatever. We know it's not going to be dangerous. He's a nice old guy. We'll just let him tell his stories and we'll, you know. It also makes me always makes me wonder about like how many of the old writers just made shit up. Like nowadays there are some checks and balances. Now you're not going to lose your job at the Boston Globe if you do it. But other places you might get in trouble. 30, 40 years ago, that didn't really exist. You know, the shelf life of a Cullen story or any story now is forever. Forever. Back then, you know, it was up at uh at uh, you know, on the Tuesday in the Record American, and then it was gone. You know, nobody, I don't even know who would investigate it. I'm sure it happened back then. I'm sure people lost their jobs. I haven't done a lot of research. I'm going to start doing that. But uh, but I find that, you know, amazing that that story is, was in the paper that day. And it's two years old. And again, like, not, not the, but I just think it's an interesting illustration on what shit can get through these papers when people just allow it to happen. I don't know. So those are the two stories of the day. I do think that the Casey Sherman stuff in the Herald, by the way, is good. Uh, I'm a little confused in some aspects by it, but I'm going to get to that as the week goes on. 
Uh, I think we're going to have our first beat writer, by the way, uh, the official beat writer for the Kirk Minahan show. I like this guy. I like I like what he's cooking. Uh, Wednesday, I think we're going to have him in for a taping. Um, he's my kind of guy. Uh, we're going to have Mike Lombardi on, by the way, later on in the week, uh, uh, and a couple of other things as well as we continue to dig away. Um, so that's enough about me uh, for uh, Monday, uh, Monday May 6th. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. I don't think I do. I mean, I'm going to get kicked out of here in like five minutes, so I don't, you know, don't want to piss anybody off, especially people at Mix. Um, is there anything else? I don't think so. I, I feel like there is, but I forgot it. God damn it, that frustrates me. Um, yeah, so we'll continue to do that. And we are continuing to dig on some other stuff, me and my team, my crack team. Uh, and I will say congratulations, by the way, to the Minifan podcast guys for 100,000 uh, downloads. That's impressive. Um, not so much for them, but really it shows the kind of loyal audience I have that, you know, um, two nobodies can, can do a podcast with 100,000 downloads. That shows the appetite for me. You think the radio personality X, local radio personality anywhere in America would get that kind of reaction? No fucking chance. I'm not even on the air. But uh, those guys are doing a good job, and I actually find it entertaining. They're doing a good job with their podcast. So it's Blind Mike, that whole network that they have, which I would like to basically, you know, bring into my world. And that was a pitch I had. Oh, yeah, you know what? Let's do that for a few minutes. <clears throat> I'll take you behind the scenes because I do have a few minutes. Um, so this Radio.com Sports Network, I guess is what they're calling it, uh, they want me to do my show sort of starting at the end of the summer for a couple of hours on that in this like world with the Scalabrini shows and the other shows that I'm clearly going to like eventually mock and drive everybody crazy with my pitch was to let them do their thing. And if you like that stuff, go listen to it. If you like basketball talk, go listen to Brian Scalabrini. If you like football talk, Jason Lockett, whoever it is, John Heyman, I don't know who's doing, but whatever, whoever it is, that's what you like. I'm probably not the best fit in there. It's just a guess. Um, so my pitch was, this is like a total, we have total freedom, basically. We don't have to be locked into a network or a station. Just give me my own station. That's kind of what I thought I was ha- going to have in November anyway. You know, like Stern has or whoever, Mad Dog, I guess. You know, and I would do the show there. You get the show every day on that network. Um, you get my podcasts on there. You get the subset podcast. I'm doing investigative stuff, some other long-form stuff, things like I just mentioned. Um... And then some other guys as well. I imagine my producer would do a podcast. Maybe the guys from this, you know, who are who are working on doing parody stuff, though their their world as well may come here, where it's kind of this ongoing twenty four hour a day thing, where it's its own network. I feel like that'd be a much better fit. There's some resistance there, so I'd be curious for your feedback as well. Uh, tweet at me at Kirkman. Let me know what you think of that. Some other stuff as well, um, and I'll keep you updated on that. The other investigative stuff. Uh, and some more guests here this week. We'll probably have three or four podcasts for you this week, so uh, stick around. If you want to subscribe, obviously, please do that. Please leave a rating. You can you know, you go to Stitcher, iTunes, Radio.com, wherever you want uh, to get this. Make sure you do that. And leave, if you like it, leave a five-star rating. That helps uh, coming forward as we put this together.
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.